Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty and this is Talking Design 2018, episode number 13. In this episode, we're talking to Adam Cornish, who is really an interesting guy. I mean, I was talking to him before we even sat down and you just find out new things all the time about your guests. So I'm looking forward to exploring some of those ideas with Adam very shortly. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Adam, it's interesting. I think I first caught sight of your work at Tate, uh, who produce outdoor furniture. And um, the seam collection was really the first introduction I've had to your work, even though when I start doing a little bit of Googling, I realise you've done products for Alessi, five in total, which is probably one of the most for an Australian designer, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what's, you know, you, for people who don't know, you, you studied industrial design at UTS in Sydney and then did uh, a furniture making course at RMIT University. Yeah. And then, and then we, from that, of you know, uh, our view on design, I felt um, wasn't embraced by a lot of other studios, so we wanted to make our own studio and start an independent studio. When you say it wasn't embraced by others, what do you mean by that? Adam? I, I, you know, uh, I did two weeks work experience out of uni with a. Um, you don't have to mention the name. No, I'm not going to say a name. <laughs> uh, Melbourne industrial design firm, and I just found it very much, um, you know, hours on the clock. You know, you've got eight hours to do a design. That's all we've budget for. That's all it's going to be. And I don't see design as that. I see design as a mechanism for evolving products over time, hopefully changing things for the better. And then we went, so we need to start a studio that's not, you know, driven by hours, just driven by commerce. We wanted to do something that is about the merit of the ideas and this literally like so... Um, a spirit of evolution so plants and animals evolve over time you know through natural selection and how do products evolve products are part of like uh like a you know humankind form of evolution so we're like we want to be involved in pushing products up the next rung on the ladder and leaving it there for someone else to hopefully improve in the future so um adam you mentioned that kel grand who uh, used to lecture at RMIT in mm-hmm. industrial design, was very instrumental in you really focusing on design as a career with his Melbourne movement, uh, products taken to Milan from students. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so Kel was a um, a mentor of mine and ended up being a good friend as well. And Kel's role was, like, Kel was instrumental in focusing me as a designer. So I was involved in, um, you know, studying at various universities and probably wasn't the greatest student. Don't, wasn't really a fan of like an organized kind of learning environment. And I'd made some work that I was very passionate about. And Kel Grant saw our wooden hammock at an exhibition and, you know, really pushed, uh, the school to allow my work to go to, um, to Milan and really put like, focus me. He said, you know, this is something you're good at. This is something you should consider. Like I hadn't even really considered design as a career. What was interesting about the hammock? The wooden hammock was, um, formed plywood pieces that moved like a human spine. So there were rubber vertebrae between each piece. So although timbers are very rigid material, we'd made it like a form of textile. So he thought this was, you know, innovative thinking and wanted to exhibited overseas and I'd never even considered that design could take you your work international or that you could you know uh, forge a living out of creating products so Kel was instrumental in that and also you know I'm a 
my energy levels are high. I'm a hard person to focus, you know, historically. And I think Kel just made me see the merit in it and rewarded, you know, our, our bond kind of focused my personality a lot as well. So, um, Adam, a less is a big deal for any designer to produce one product. You've done five now. Yeah. Uh, tell me a bit about the process because you don't just walk into a lessee's office and say, look, I think you want to hear what I've got to say. Funny you say that because oh, I you did kind that. of did. <laughs> when I, I'd made a prototype <laughs> of a, um, a centerpiece inspired by a Nautilus shell because the Nautilus shell grows a new chamber each year and as it does that, it creates this very intricate, um, you know, minimal use of material, very strong structure and I wanted to create a, uh, a product that used this same logic. So I made this product and I remember showing Kel and he said, that's an LSE piece. That was his comments to me, and I was like, well, I don't see how that's possible. Um, and then when I went to Milan, I took the prototype with me. I had uh, an address where their press office was, so I got on a tram, went to the office. When I turned up, there was actually no one there. The office had moved, so I got given some vague instructions in Italian where to go to, so I walked down the street. I was looking for the sign. Luckily, there was an Alessi um, centerpiece in the window. I knocked on the door, spoke to Irina Lopez and said, oh, I'm here to show Alberto Alessi my fruit bowl. She goes, this is not the Alessi headquarters. This is their press office. Another so, tram ride. Yeah, no, no, no. She said, come inside. I've been sitting on the doorstep for half an hour. And she said, come inside. And I said, can you give it to Alberto? And she says, look, I'll give it to him if you want. So I flew home the next day. And when I got home, I had an email saying to come back that Alberto wanted to take on the product. And then two years later, we developed the Trinity range and the rest is history. So, And they're still producing it for a Yeah, year. It's, one, it's one of their best sellers. In You've done other pieces for them, a clock. Yeah, we were um, given a a brief by Alberto Alessi to utilize uh, some of the underutilized machinery and manufacturing processes within their headquarters because everything is made in the Alessi headquarters in Crusinalo. So quite a privilege to be say, this this is underutilized. Can you make a product utilizing this? So I feel that's that's right up my alley as far as design. So, mm-hmm. And then you just produce, come up with a few schemes... Yeah, well, then they ask to do extensions to... Like, if a range is doing well, they said, would you do some other typologies within the Trinity family? And that's where four other products came from, like, you know, working within the same visual language but creating other typologies. So citrus holders, baskets, trays, a whole family of products. uh, Adam, are you working on another product at the moment? Yeah, Alessi is a beautiful company to work with. We have... They create, like, a safety net for designers to work under so you don't feel like you know you're going to be punished for making mistakes so every time i go to milan which is at least once or twice a year we will show them you know pretty outlandish things that we're working on or things that we think they should be looking at sometimes so at the moment we've got two projects kind of being looked at and experimented with so that's always a state of like a working experimental relationship with them. So they might see you and say, look, Adam, we love this part, but can you take it in that direction? Yeah, and they, they mm-hmm. give us feedback on, you know, utilising their press tools and things. Like, So it's it's just it's an ongoing, ever-evolving relationship. So we will, that's the only way we work with people. Um, you come, you, you're very much a person who wants to make design accessible. You mentioned you, you do a range for uh, cult. Yeah, for for the in-house brand now. In-house brand. Yep. Uh, and you were showing me some of the work that you do. Um, 
stackable chairs and plywood and uh, steel. How do you start a relationship with a new range for someone like Colt? Well, do they give you a brief when they say, this is what we're looking for, or do you say, this is what you need? Yeah, well, Richard Mineo has been a supporter of my work from very early on through the Design Journey competition. Richard flew me to Milan one year and organised meetings with companies and has been also a bit of a mentor role with me. Um, so when he started his in-house brand, he worked with Adam Goodrum, and then Richard and I were speaking about this brand, and I said I'd love to do some, you know, accessible products. And accessibility is not price a, point. yeah, not only price point though. Accessibility is also visual language, something that is at home in a lot of um, environments, and you know, you don't need to be design savvy to understand accessible design language, and also. Um, accessible materials like it's easy to make affordable products out of plastic but harder to use real tactile materials like plywood wire so the idea was a little bit of a return to the Eames ethos of making you know the most uh, the least for the most so we wanted to kind of continue that but you know drag it forward into you know the time frame we are now so so you're doing chairs stools bistro tables like a table family, uh, chair, bar stool, easy chair, um, all using local manufacturing too, which is a big part of the now, the now brand that is utilizing Australian design and Australian manufacturing. So that's a really nice part of the brief to allow creativity to come from. This is what we have. Let's work with that rather than you know the wish list of every material process. Why do you think people like yourself are so appealing to? places like to people like Alessi and companies like Alessi is it that freshness or just that can-do attitude or just I think it's, thinking outside the square yeah, what do you think it is I think it's actually understanding that design is a collaboration with someone and we I use the analogy sometimes that it's like dancing with someone right you dance the way you dance but when you dance with someone else you make concessions to not tread on their toes and move together in some kind of like new hybrid that uh, is is you two together and that's designed for us like i have my opinions i have how i move the way i want to see things but i'm working with someone else Mm -hmm. so we try to work together like everything is a collaboration every company we work with there's an energy there that is different to anyone else i think understanding that makes you desirable to work with rather than forcing your agenda treading on their toes and not not creating an outcome that is the sum of the two of you so if if people you know i mean a lot of designers i mean as you said it's it's quite a um it's seen in many circles as quite elitist and you're in a sense wanting things to be very grounded so is your idea of design not to have a very an overly strong signature that actually says Adam Cornish? Um, it's it's not like, a, I don't know, you, I can't, an artist can't tell you if their work's art, that's for someone else to decide. Same with like whether my visual language is unique to me, but I just try to create outcomes, you know, it's like, it's a subservient role. You are designing chairs for other people. They're not just for my, I haven't commissioned myself to make chairs for my house. So I think, that role of context, understanding they're for other people and realising that it's subservient, hopefully creates, you know, I think there's a visual language in itself created by that and hopefully that is unique to me, but that's not the agenda from the get-go, you know? Um, when you're designing another chair, do you think, in the back of your mind, do you think, do we need another chair? There's so many chairs on the market. But then you bring out your 
seam collection and then you start to think well yeah there is actually room for another chair tell me about how the seam evolved that idea yeah that yeah. was for tate yeah i definitely asked myself do we need anything else and if so it has to be an improvement on what came before it um tate came along like you know there's a there's a context to tate which people need to know that it's manufactured in thornbury um, it utilizes, you know, a unique set of skills that are semi-mass produced, but also there's still a high level of like hand crafted, um, hand welded, hand finished. So the unique context of this factory and a conversation with um, the Tates, which was we would love to have a chair that was a little bit more um, commercially focused, indoor and outdoor, and something that wasn't wire. So... An interesting little tidbit is Gordon Tate's brother is actually uh, a tailor and a fashion lecturer at um, UTS. So when I was thinking, like, I had this idea that, like, um, patterns for garment construction are actually quite similar to the patterns used in sheet steel before you form it. So I thought it'd be great to try to create a sheet steel chair with a narrative of fashion and tailoring. So we pitched the idea, and then Gordon's like, did you know my brother is actually a tailor? So... They understood it straight away that we could make a chair from aluminium sheet steel, but tailor it to be, you know, as sophisticated as a three-piece suit or something like that. So basically, for people who uh, haven't got that image in front of them, but they will, um, it basically folds with a seam down the back, almost like a, a, a seam. Yeah. And you yeah. sit in, in that seam like you would the back of a suit. Exactly. And the jacket. idea, like even the process of designing it... Um, became like we work from paper straight away which is unusual for me i've got to admit i would probably jump on some form of um, computer design to get it started so we made the first prototype we looked at it and just like a suit we went uh, it needs to be taken in 15 mil either side the seam like all the details of like you know almost like the lapel or something was modified on the product you know new new patterns made so the prototyping almost became like the fittings for a garment. So, yeah, it was very close to the tailoring process. And, Adam, it must be very difficult to create a garment or a chair in this instance that fits every person's behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and especially to have any... It's made of steel. Steel can be very cold and very rigid. So we worked on so many different thicknesses and the angle that the seam comes together allows the back to flex. So if you make it less acute, um, it flexes more. If you make the the joint more like more acute, it flexes, uh, flexes less. So we worked on this like sweet spot to try to get the chair to feel like a plywood shell. That was the mm-hmm. that was the in-house goal of the studio. It was like when you sit on this chair, you shouldn't really know that it's made from steel. It should respond like a like a plywood yeah. chair and have that little bit of movement. Adam, you also have an other side to your work, which is green walls and producing technology for green walls, which is a really interesting idea. You mentioned that you grew up on a fern Yeah, 40 40 acres fern nursery. Very unusual. (laughs) Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about that, because you you see them both as the same thing, really. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, so my view on design is based around evolution and natural selection, but based in products. And I think... Growing up so exposed to nature, 
I just like my backyard was forty acres, um, so I wasn't a really that was in Taree. Correct. So I wasn't like a TV kid at all. I just you know I remember building little huts. Um, we had a strong Aboriginal community in my town. Like so, my part of my schooling was like learning to make huts and things like that. So I think it was just a natural step for me to see design that way. Um, my favourite subjects in in school were um, biology and science based, and then art. So I feel like design is a connection of science and art to an extent. So the plant products for me just sit in this little niche where plants do everything. Like the natural world is perfect and we make changes which usually mess it up. So utilizing plants to do what they do best but trying to incorporate them into our built world just seems like a a no-brainer concept. And we're really lucky to meet with some companies that feel the same way and now we develop develop products with you know UTS science department do a lot of the research we work with horticultural companies to get the plant knowledge and then we offer you know that the bridge between those two which is industrial design and uh, you work with mainly horti horticulturalists yeah correct uh, and so green walls in some of the areas around Melbourne, uh, thanks to you and your yeah, we've we've made the you know the world's first breathing wall, which you know uses um, with a company called Jungle Fire, which uses um, like kind of like almost superchargers plants to do what they do, but at a much higher rate due to the design around the product. Um, Adam, where's your head going at the moment? Where do you think you'd like to end up in five years' time? Wow, that's so interesting. Um, I mean, you must have things, plans, ideas, things that you feel like you need to explore. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the plant thing is a big one. I think we're only just scratching the surface of how to incorporate plants into built environments. So that's something I see, you know, and these projects are so... um, so thorough and so... Because they're working with three different bodies, they become, you know, like three, four-year development for projects like this. Um... I also see there's still lots of scope to uh, create accessible products within our landscape. I still think design is very focused, you know, on... The expensive chair. Yeah, or like we call it furniture fashion, Mm. you know, and in that fast fashion, like a chair that's done this year is no longer even in fashion next year. Why do they do that? I I, I don't know. Uh, That is definitely not the way I see it. And I feel when we speak to people about this, um, this notion, I feel like it... It gets a lot of traction because people don't like, you know, people don't realize this, but there's over 18 months to two years in developing a chair. So you develop it for two years. It's and there then, for a fashion for a season. Yeah, for a season that's gone. I just find that notion like, you know, yeah, not something I want to be involved in at all. So, so when you, you know, the thing is, if someone said to you, Adam, I'll oh, look, uh, we want a series of um, chairs in blush pink to go with this season's colour range, you'd say no. <laughs> Do you say no to things? You no, say no. It's, 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 it's not say, no. Look, I would just say, what's the context? Why are we? Why are we automatically? There's nothing wrong with blush. Blush is a great colour. All colours are amazing in their right context. It's just why are we choosing? This are we choosing it because it's in magazines, or are we choosing it because we think it's the right thing to do? And there should be more research and a, a bigger dialogue around everything. Adam, is there anything you feel uncomfortable designing, and you feel like, oh, I'm really, it's, I feel, and it doesn't have to be like you know a Canon or a you know, no, it's just a, wasteful in general. That's mm-hmm. what I feel uncomfortable about: wasting the world's resources, wasting you know people's time, and encouraging consumerism at a way that is not sustainable. That's what's uncomfortable. 
for me. I think having more longevity, asking people to consider, you know, recycled materials and finishes that aren't as polished and, mm. you know, like, to me, there's a word I've been using lately, which is like a more wholemeal sense of design, like understanding that, you know, if you're going to have wholemeal bread, you have you have the the whole wheat in there, you have the husk, you have everything, and you accept that that's how it tastes, that's how it looks. Um, people don't have that kind of sensibility with materials. They want virgin white plastic. They're not happy to have a brown speck in there if, if it means we can use 40% wood pulp instead of plastic. I think educating the consumer around that and trying to create that um, that ethos around design is is where we see it heading and what we want to try to achieve. So. Do, do you ever come to a point in your thought process that it actually gets quite challenging? You know, you, it's always the sticking point in getting something, just moving it onto the last. What's what's the most challenging thing about oh, what I you're mean, doing? For me, the most challenging point is um, admitting that a project's over. See, whilst ever it's in a state of moving forward and a state of flux, anything's possible. Do you know what I mean? Like you can have all these best intentions and everything's going to be amazing. And then when they say, all right, full stop, it's done. That's when I really panic and go, okay, have, have we, we did it? Have we is done everything enough? right? Yeah, isn't enough? Have we, have we really, you know, ticked the boxes of the agenda we set at the start? So I think, I think anyone that's worked with me would say that, getting me to say that's it is is my weakness like in a real way so it must be very frustrating because when something's already out on the market and you think oh i could have done just that and then it would have taken it from there to and to slightly that's the pressure 100 percent. that's what i always say to my partner all the time is like what if someone walked up to me and said did you realize that if you cut this this way or change that it could be three times more efficient to make so we really try to look at that level before we launch it and like try to ask those questions as much as you can you can never 100% cover that but try to do that because that would be just <laughs> like ultimately embarrassing so um look it's been a pleasure having you on the program today adam yeah likewise um and um i'm sorry i haven't um hooked into your work earlier um because no, we're a young studio so i think we're just starting to you know, make some traction now and now we're Yeah, I just feel that, you know, after five products of the Lessie, I should have called you already. <laughs> so um, um, thanks so much for coming on the program. This has been Talking Design 2018, episode 13, recorded at RMIT University. Mm-hmm.